Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. Good morning, Arbor Bridge. All right. <laughs> it's exciting to be able to preach and talk with you guys this morning. Uh, as Daryl is enjoying a vacation, um, a well-deserved vacation, him and his wife, and I get to be here in his stead, so, you know, I get to destroy this church and its reputation. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just plant messing. Um, no, Daryl has been a great mentor of mine, and I'm honored and privileged that he's um, allowed me to be able to speak with you guys this morning. God's been doing a lot in my heart recently, and I have a hard time not being genuine with where I am at. So I'm going to express what God has genuinely been doing with me and what I've been working through and what I've been wrestling with. So a little bit about me before I begin and before I pray us in to receive the word. So I am, my name is Samuel Wensley. I am a social work student at Wayne State University. I am in my master's degree program there at Wayne. Uh, I have one more year left until I'm graduated. And my end goal is to be a counselor or a therapist. Um, And as someone who's involved in ministry and is called to ministry, that's going to be a part of my ministry in the future, whatever that looks like. And so that's what God is calling me to. Um, A little bit about me. I am someone who is um, uh, passionate and caring and devoted to people. I love people. I love talking to people. So if you want to have a chance to talk afterward, I'd love to meet you. I'd love to talk to you, get to know you. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to speak. So another, another thing, if you, if you do end up talking to me at any point, introducing yourself to me, ask me, what is your secret talent? I won't tell you now. You got to ask me. There we go. That's my little, little, uh, little tidbit to get you to talk to me. <laughs> but it's great. I'm excited. Um, so I'm going to pray a sin. I'm going to pray something that has been really on my heart from Psalm 42 that I've been re- play, playing on repeat in my mind. It's been a really hard last three weeks for me. And so this has been on my heart, and so I'm going to share this, and I'm going to pray this. So join me in prayer. Lord, thank you that you are here and that you're with us and that you love us and care about us. I pray that we learn more more about who we are, our identity, and, and, and more about who you are, Lord. Lord, I pray that we receive your word. And we'd long to know you, as it says in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Lord, help us long after you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So Dale has been talking about the last couple of weeks, he's been doing a series on identity. And every single week, God has been showing me something very different and new in the realm of identity. But this week I was talking with a friend I hadn't seen in a while, and these two phrases came up. And it's just been tormenting my mind in a sense, just on repeat. Is God who you think he is, Samuel? And are you who you think you are? And so that's what I've been running through in my mind and going over and trying to figure out and sort through. And in my journey, I was led to Romans 8. So we pull up Romans 8 here. Romans 8, we'll read it together. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture that I've been just really soaking in. And so it says here, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, sons and daughters of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we also might be glorified with him. When I read this scripture, one of the biggest things that is pointed out to me is that Paul, when he writes this, he is letting the people of Rome know who they are and who they're not. He says, those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. A week or two ago, Daryl said his most important identity that he holds, first and foremost above all else, is I am a son of God. And this is where that comes from. This is what he's given us is that we are sons, that we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You are not someone controlled by fear if you have the Holy Spirit within you. But who are you? You've been received by the spirit of adoption as sons, that the Holy Spirit within you cries out, Abba, Father, I am so desperate for you. I need you. I thirst for you. As the deer panters for, so my soul longs after you. The Holy Spirit within us cries out to the Lord. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. So that thing within us, it's that idea of the deep calls out to deep. And we're not sure what this deep is, but we're not sure what that deep is. But it's so poetic and it makes sense in a way that that this deep, my soul, the spark of the divine within me calls out to that spark, that divinity, Jesus. The deep calls out to deep, the spirit himself bears witness. That is who we are. And so with the two questions that I've been, I've been wrestling with in my mind, is God who I think he is? And am I who I think I am? I 
I'm not saying in these questions, I'm not saying you don't know who you are. I don't know who I am. I don't know who God is. I'm not making a blatant statement and saying, you know nothing. It's a question of reflection and, and whether or not, where are our hearts at with the Lord? Not one of dismissal, not one of total and complete um, rejection of your own thoughts. A part of the Christian struggle is one of wrestling with the Lord. As a matter of fact, that's what the name Israel means, to wrestle with God. And that's the beauty of much of the Old Testament is the wrestling with God that Israel has. And that's our journey too. So we'll move on to the next slide. We are given identity from God. We are sons of God. We are not slaves to fear. We have the Holy Spirit within us that cries out. So who do you think you are? One of my favorite verses in scripture that I feel like represents this very well is the story of Gideon. Now, Gideon is a judge in the book of Judges. And this guy, I feel like I relate to so greatly. And human beings, we can connect with him with his first encounter with the Lord. Now, in the book of Judges, it is a story where Israel is continually in a process of being restored or being put into exile. And that's the process, their version of thinking, all right, I'm living a life according to, you know, I'm in sin or I've been restored. You know, I'm living holy or, you know, that was their way of thinking about it, the Jewish people. And so this was a story where, where the people of Israel would turn away from God and they would be put under oppression of some kind. And God would raise up a judge. And God is doing that here. He is raising up a judge. And this is what it says in scripture. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. He's giving him identity. He's telling him who he is. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if it is the Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where is this wonderful deeds that our fathers recount to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Imagine being approached by the Lord, him saying, you mighty man of valor. And our response being, where were you? <laughs> I've been suffering here. We've been suffering here, the people. We've been under oppression. We've heard of your mighty deeds. Where were you? And when I look at this and I see this, it's like, wow, that's me. I do that. <laughs> when I feel mistreated or misjudged or persecuted in some way, I said, God, where were you? When he approaches me and says, you mighty man of valor. And what's incredibly amazing is God responds to him with this. And the Lord turned and said to him, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said to, him, said to him, but I will be with you, and I will strike the Midianites as one man. Gideon comes to the Lord with his doubt, and he says, 
I can't do this. I am weak. I'm the weakest in my father's house. I I can't do this. And he says, you can do it because I will be with you. And the trial that you're going to face, it's going to be just like you're striking down one man. Imagine two armies going against each other. That's how a normal battle would work, right? But he's, God's saying, no, it's going to be as easy and as anticlimactic as it's one army against one man. And if you know the rest of the story, that's exactly what happens. It's pretty anticlimactic. And God redeems Israel. But he tells Gideon, this is who you are. You are a man of valor. Even though within your core of your being, you have so much doubt, you reject me in many ways. But I will use you, O mighty man of valor. That's what I want to hear from the Lord. And this is this week as I've been thinking, who am I? That's me. That's me. I come to the Lord with doubt and shame and resentment and even like doubt about who I am. And God says, Samuel, you are a man of value. You are a man of purpose. You're a man of service. You're a man of loyalty. And he speaks the truth over us. One of the most important psychological effects on a human being is how we view ourselves in our own identity. And I'll get more into that in a second, but I want to share the story of another person that I, that's me as well. And that's Peter. Peter in Matthew 26, 31 and 35, Jesus brings his disciples to the garden on the day that he is going to be betrayed and taken in and arrested and beaten. And he tells them, all his disciples, he says, you will betray me and you will scatter. And Peter says to him, no way, no way. I will never betray you. I would never do that. And Jesus says to him, actually, before the rooster crows later on, you're going to deny me three times. And he's like, no, I would never do that. Even to the point of death, I wouldn't reject you. I wouldn't deny you. But for many of you who are familiar with the story, you know, later that day, he denied Jesus three times after he was taken in for fear of his own life. And that is also me. And that's the state of our fallen nature as human beings is that we are people who think who we know who we are. We're also a people that have no clue who we are, right? And when we walk forward in the boldness of our identity with the Lord and what is truly most important, that we are sons and daughters of him, we recognize our weaknesses and our strengths We recognize that I might feel like I'm a man of weakness like Gideon, but God says I'm a man of valor. And I also might think, I would never deny him. But the sin nature in you will. And what then? That's an easy question, what then? 
to the heart that longs to know the Lord, to the Holy Spirit within you that cries out to the Lord. It's, it is Jesus that is the answer. It is Jesus. That he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become righteous in him. It is through Jesus that our identity is restored back to the Garden of Eden when we first sinned. And we lived a life astray and a wander from him. He has restored us to relationship with him. So we'll move on to the next slide here. So I'm going to a little, talk a little bit about my background as someone who is a social worker. And I, you know, there's so many different understandings of ourselves that we have. And many of these theories are very useful. And, and, and I'm going to be using many of these theories in my future practice to be able to help other people get through the issues and work through the struggle and, and, and work through mental health and whatever else. You know, it's, it's so diverse what people go to therapists and counselors for. And we have many ways, you know, and, and many of these theories... Like, you know, um, humanistic theory, psychoanalytic, tr- um, transpersonal, family systems, cognitive behavioral therapy, social identity theory. All these theories help us understand who people are in different ways. And because of these sorts of ways, these ways of thinking, we really do think we understand human beings. But God, through scripture and interpersonally, lets us know, are you really so proud to think you have it all together? Do you really think you have it all together? So an example of how many of us think we have it all together. I'm using Maslow's hierarchy of needs as an example. So this one is a common, if you've ever taken a... um, a psychology class, you've heard of this, you've seen this, many of you might be familiar with it. This is a common theory that talks about um, what human levels of state, stages where human beings are at. And the bottom, the bottom one where you need psychological needs like food, water, warmth, and rest, that is the foundation. That is the first thing that you need as a human being. And then you go to the next layer, and then you go to the next layer, and the end goal is to get to the top of the pyramid, which is self-actualization, which is a place that, in the theory, it's, it's something that not many people find or achieve for themselves. But the kingdom of God views a theory like this a little bit differently. To a Christian, it applies differently. Jesus flips this on on its head. This theory makes a lot of sense to the non-Christian, and it applies perfectly to the non-Christian. But to the Christian, the foundation isn't food. The foundation isn't shelter. And self-actualization is not the pinnacle of Christian walk. The foundation is Jesus Christ drinking from the living water, hungering and thirsting from him. And at the very top, 
It's achieving our full identity in Christ. And it's walking in him. It's like the song that we sang earlier. My Jesus, you satisfy. Being satisfied in your identity with the Lord is the Christian version and walking in self-actualization. And it's not even really a pyramid at all. There's two steps and two layers to the Christian life. Is your foundation Jesus Christ? And have you live, are you living in the identity of the Lord? And that's the struggle of my life right now. Lord, help me to walk in that identity. That is my prayer. So we're going to talk about um, a man named Job. Job, um, if you open your Bible to directly in the middle, you're pretty likely to either hit Psalms or Job. And Job is this long epic poem that is absolutely, it is incredibly written. It is phenomenal. If you enjoy poetry, read the book of Job. It is phenomenal. And the book of Job is about a a story of a man. If we can move to the next slide here. It's a story of a man who has it all, who is righteous, and loses everything. He has wealth, a big family, possessions. He is fulfilled. He is a righteous man before God, and he loses it all. He loses his possessions. His family passes away. His, his, even his health, his physical body, he has boils all over. So the most of this poem is Job mentally processing with his friends what in the world happened and calling out to God, God, what is this? I thought I was a righteous man. And he's wrestling through these thoughts. And we do this whenever we are hit with tragedy and hardship. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. And we process things. And this is where I've been at in the last several weeks. Not comparing my life to Job, his life, way worse. (laughs) Way worse of a circumstance. But I can relate in the sense of processing, like, what happened? Why? Why? Toward the end of the poem, God responds to Job in a very direct way a way that is so incredibly loving. So when we are in places of trying to wrestle with the reality of what's going on around us and we can't, we're struggling to cope, when we're given the raw truth where we set our priorities straight, that is one of the things that helps us move forward. And it is hard. But that's what God does. God directly responds to Job and says this. Who is this darkened counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you and make it, known to, make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And he goes on and on. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? And he keeps going on and on. And what he's saying to Job is like, I am up here. 
and you aren't even close. Recognize your identity with who I am and where you are. Job was grasping and struggling with the reality of knowing who is God? Is God who I actually think he is? It's that Israel struggle, wrestling with the Lord. And God saw that and responded. And he set his priorities straight. And he said, who are you? Were you there when the foundation of the earth was created? Obviously, the answer to that is no. (laughs) We are not God. We're not as great as God. But we were told we were created in the image of God. Which is one of the things that gives us value in life. It's what inspires us, the, the realization that I have the spark of divine within me and we can approach a conversation with another person and say, they have the divinity within them because they're created in the image of God. That is why they have value. That is why they have value. So I experienced some of this myself. When I was 18 years old and graduated high school, I moved out to Los Angeles, California, and joined a nonprofit organization. And I worked out there in the food truck ministry, in the kids' ministry. We would go to different project sites and uh, hang out with the kids um, and help them with homework and minister to them. And it was an incredible experience. And God really shaped me and molded me into who I am now when I was out there. And one of the things that happened that still influences me to this day, that shook the core of who I am, was my realization that my experience is an ultimate. So for example, I was in the hallway one day talking with some of my friends about theology. And we were just discussing things. And I don't quite remember what was exactly said. But someone said something that I vehemently disagreed with and I kind of cringed inside. But I think the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment and said, why? Why does that bug you? What what was so discerning in your mind about that? And I tried to think of different scriptures and different things and the realization hit me. I believed that what was said was wrong because my level of discernment was based on what I was taught when I was growing up. The thought that specifically went through my head was my mom wouldn't agree with that, so it must be wrong. And I realized, oh, is my faith my own? Uh-oh, <laughs> right? And so I, had, I started on a process of shifting the way I'm thinking. And don't get me wrong, we are called to the church and we're called to community when we are wrestling with our own um, theological questions. We can't do that alone because we will get it wrong if we do it alone. And I am so thankful, shout out to my parents, but I'm so thankful that they're able to help me and walk through me with things growing up. But the shift that I had to make was that The way that I thought wasn't right. Instead of thinking, my faith was more based on a human than it was on Jesus Christ. And so I had to deconstruct myself, not my faith, myself, 
Many of us Christians will deconstruct our own faith before deconstructing ourselves, and that's dangerous. Because often when we do that, what we build in the place of our old faith was whatever we wanted it to be. And if we don't actually change ourselves, there's no point. And so I had to deconstruct who I was and say, God, who am I really? And in some ways, I'm still on that journey today. And not only question of who am I, but who are you? And a part of that heart that longs to know more about God is one that cries out to the Lord, Abba, Father. It's the spirit within us that says, longs for you, that wants to know you. Jesus, you are my redeeming and saving force, that there is no hope in my soul without you. It's remembering what God has brought me through and to where I'm at today. It's holding fast to the confession of my hope for he who promised is faithful. He is with us. He is for us. Living a life according to the calling that we've been called with patience, humility, love, building each other up, caring for each other and eager to maintain unity. That's what the Christian is called to. That's what I'm called to. My prayer for myself and for us is to walk in the identity that God has bestowed upon us as children of God and those who continually remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. That despite my own failings, I will continue to fail like Gideon, like Peter. I will continue to wrestle with God and question like Job. But despite my failings, Jesus Christ died for my sins that I might have new life in him and have it abundantly and forever. Let's pray. Lord, help us to receive more of the true nature of who we are. It is a lifelong journey that cannot be covered in a sermon but one of recognizing more of who you are. Not that we have it fully, fully understood or completed, but understanding more, longing to know more, being humbled by you when we recognize we are not who we thought we were, and being encouraged when we are told that we are something that we didn't know we were. Continually remind us of the gospel of Jesus Christ in communion, through relationships and friendships and through the church. Build us up. Be with us, Lord. We welcome you in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Good morning, church family. Uh, Obviously, my wife and I aren't here today. But we wanted to send you a message or leave you a message um, from us to you. Uh, thanks to those of you guys who made it possible for us to be on our vacation without your generosity. And it had been very difficult. So uh, 
thank you from the bottom of our hearts. It means so much to us. Um, there's nothing. I, I thank you feels inadequate to communicate how we feel about what you've done for us. Um, we're very grateful. Uh, I wanted to leave you with a blessing for the end of today's service. And uh, so here it is. <clears throat> May you know and have full confidence that God is with you, watching every step you take, guiding you by his spirit, giving you exactly what you need to get through each day. And if there are agonies experienced this week, may you be full of confidence that these trials are helping us gain an eternal glory that is so much greater than our, our trouble. So do not give up. Take your cues about who you are and what you're worth from him. Have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.